Hello and welcome to another episode of the Viva Bastardo show. This week we have Eric Minoff, Bonham's car specialist, auction specialist. He has driven and seen almost every car ever made on the planet. He has some amazing stories. Uh, also, just to let you guys know, um, there is some sound quality issues. You can hear it fine, but it's not like tip-top uh, crystal bell, whatever that is, sound quality. So don't send me enraged emails. All right, let's get into it. Eric Minoff. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the Viva Bastardo show. Um, do you want to explain to the world of the four people, four listeners, <laughs> who you are? Do you want me to do it? Um, or we could take turns. We, we could take turns. That sounds good. I'd like to hear what someone else has to say about me. <laughs> Eric seduces people into buying cars with his silky voice over the phone during auctions at Bonhams. Yes, I also seduce people in the selling them too. And selling. You, you know what? I feel. <laughs> Should we just just get right into it? So, so you've been working. So you've been working for how long? Uh, Fifteen years. Was that your first job? Uh, pretty much, yeah. What was the before the pretty much? Was it something minimal? Um, I did other. I drove an ambulance for. Oh, that's right. Several years. Wants some real nightmare fuel. Um, I uh, listen. Everyone wants nightmare fuel. Yeah, because the yeah. world is so lovely and peaceful right now that you know you need a counterbalance. Yeah, me as an eighteen-year-old showing up for your medical emergency <laughs> going to do it. Um, and I, I worked cardboard trade a little bit back when there was a going concern with people trading in a pit, like in trading places. Uh, yeah, you were one of those geezers with the jackets. That's, is that a denim poplar like What is that? that no, jacket? it's made of nylon. No, it doesn't wick. It's, it's, uh, there's like a set of rules, and this, this is going back, maybe wrong, probably isn't, but there's a set of rules. You weren't allowed to wear jeans, couldn't wear shorts, had to wear a collared shirt, needed to wear a tie, and needed to wear a jacket. But that was all that was described. So the jacket could have like a wild print on it and a mesh back. But I thought they all had to wear those jackets like in trading places. Yeah, yeah. Well, they did because they also had a lot of paper that they were carrying because they had all their trading cards that they would write. Not trading cards like, this is my favorite. <laughs> Michael Jordan's my favorite banker. You know, um, you know, like, I see J.P. Mulroney's Rothschild. Yeah, yeah. No, they had like cards that they'd write, you know, what they bought, how much they bought it for, and who they bought it from. It sounds Dickensian now, doesn't it? You know, it is. It's quaint. It's really... And then my job there, because I was doing this... Do you think that's like a Colonial Williamsburg version of the stock market that's going to happen later on? You go in, you see people writing stuff down, you can watch them yell at each other. None of that stuff happens anymore, right? I mean, not Does really. It no, it's all electronically. Like, there's people on the floor, but I think there's a the show. Yeah they're, yeah, they're actually animatronic. Yeah. They're not real people. It's like, like Chuck E. Cheese. I yeah. Think, I think, you know... You put in a quarter, they all start like... You know people say they're like crisis actors? They're financial actors. But, you know, oh, wait. They're just there to... Well, crisis actors are people. I like, I, I like this conspiracy Making it theory. look like there's stuff going on in the market. It's all online. Nothing's happening there. That's an amazing conspiracy theory to start. You know, actually, I was reading about the guy... Do you know about the guy who started uh, this type of <laughs> the movement, All Birds Are Drones? Oh, yeah, I've heard this, yes. It's amazing. Yeah, because it. now it's become a real thing. Mm-hmm. Now there's people who, you know, he started as a joke, but now it's taken off and there are people who think all birds are drones. Like flying spaghetti monster. Can we think of one right now that we could just launch into the ether? Well, he just, he just pointed out that the people at the stock market are actual actors. Yeah, they're actors. 
It's not real. It's not real. None of it's real. Oh, no, but it needs to be by a Megamind like but computer. I, it's Soros. Yeah. But I feel like it. I feel like it needs to be much. Like all birds are drones is so crazy. I feel like it has to be so crazy that it becomes believable to a certain percentage of the population. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing because like planes don't actually fly using Bernoulli's principle. There's just strings attached to the wings, and they have satellites that hold them up. Oh, it's like on a guy like a skip. Well, I was going to say skeleton, yeah, but no one's going to know that. It's no. like those little electric cars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like trams, about, like yeah. trams. Yeah, 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 or puppets. Marionettes. Yes, yes. So there's a marionette master who's controlling all the flights. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What yeah. about the baggage? The baggage? Yeah, is the baggage included in that? That's shipped using tubes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Vacuum tubes. <laughs> yeah, vacuum tubes like the bank. I love those oh, things. Oh, it's a fun. Have you ever seen one? In actual, I've never actually yeah. been to a place There's a place called hospitals, where they still have to actually transmit physical things. They, have, place to they place, have vacuum tubes. And tube. they have vacuum tubes. Really? Oh, I think they're great. They're the coolest. Do you ever go in like the suburbs and go to like a drive-up ATM kind of bank? Yeah. Because they'll still have the yeah. tube. Like they'll have like yeah, the one tube. Yeah, you get your money in the tube. You should do that when your house. I would. But you could have diapers. I mean, yeah, that would that would be stinky. Um, if it unraveled in well, the tube. Actually, and you've got to send the tubes, chimney sweep, like got, a tiny tube I got, up into the tubes. And I'm going to get targeted more for it. I got targeted for an ad on like Instagram, I think. For a um, a vacuum laundry tube thing, where you just oh, like throw your laundry towards the hole in the wall and get sucked up and taken to I assume the laundry room, but I guess you can take it anywhere you want. Get sent to a laundry room in jail. I mean, if you're really rich, it just gets sent to a dumpster. But you like the woman like does like the behind sure. the back throw. Yeah, like she's doing like trick yeah. shots to get the laundry in the yeah. jury. Yeah, my, mind you, it's also usually just a mom. Yeah, character. yeah, no, it's that's not really that's gender not really, neutral. It's, no, it's not. It's not. It's unwoke entirely. It's, it's unwoke. very much asleep. You could have a larger size tube, so it could just, and you could just, like, if you wanted to go to different areas of the house. Yeah, if you just, you, you, just you just go in. You like, you throw the child in, and like your wife's in the other room. You just throw the child, and you just deliver it into the other room. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would totally ride a tube elevator. That sounds real exciting. I remember those lifts that or elevator that with the no, they just kind of a, they have no door. They're just like constant. They're on like a. I've never seen one. Do you know what I'm talking about? They just kind of you just step into them and they go up. And oh down. yeah, I've seen that. That sounds. I mean, they're not moving very fast. No, it's not like you. It's, it's like a wily coyote kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it's like a slow Shabbos elevator. <laughs> Which for the non-New Yorkers in Goyim that are listening, Goyim, that's an elevator, almost exclusive to New York City and maybe Israel. That uh, stops at every floor so that you don't have to press the button and activate the other. Because if you're an Orthodox Jew on on the Shabbos, you can't yeah. you can't activate you can't press buttons. You can't yeah, activate. you can't you can't do anything. Um, this is not. So a that's why stuff is always system. on, right? Well, it's yeah. also why some buildings here have a elevator guy still. Mm-hmm. Work. Mm-hmm. You're telling oh, someone to do something. You're, you're telling someone to do something. You're telling them to work. Oh, I mean, really? You could, you could maybe get away with, depending on your, and, and Jews love to argue, so depending on your interpretation, you could say, oh, it'd be really great if, you know, we went to the fifth floor. You're not asking him. <laughs> but to that's the witness. You're openly using. <laughs> yeah. no, be nice. no, technically speaking, uh, no, you, you could not ask someone to do something. That would sort of defeat the purpose of no one's doing it. What if so they could you say, oh, my gout's really playing up like these five floors, and then someone goes, oh, let me. Yeah, no, or you could just get in the elevator that stops at floors two, three, four, and five, which is what a Shabbos elevator does. Or you have the Shabbos Goy. Well, that's that's the that's the amusing. The Shabbos Goy is the, is the non-Jewish person who just does all this shit for you. You, I feel like you could have a, like a whole Shabbos Goy. Is there a rental service? 
No, because Orthodox Jews don't believe in that. Not the <laughs> rental service, the Shabbos boy. Oh, that, is that bullshit? Yeah. I think it's something that, like, I really well, there goes my future career. Yeah. <laughs> Reconstructionist and reform. It was like, a, like, that's got to work, right? Yeah. I haven't really read the book much, but a, it's got to work. Remember I feel like before. you went to Yeshiva. Yeah, do you? Yeah, I haven't that's, seen that's it. A, that's a wrong feeling. Is it, is it wrong? Yeah, I didn't go to Yeshiva. Do you have, do you okay. keep, do you have kosher? Do you keep kosher? Uh, no. Okay. I, I mean, the kosher thing. Not even a little bit. You love bacon. Oh, yeah, pork street. I know. No pork and meat. What is it? I feel like Jews love pork more than Christians love pork. Well, that's because it's something supposed to. Do. I know because the love for pork amongst Jews is like I love you know bacon, you shrimp. Yeah. Wait, wait, is that true? Yeah, I feel like the cause it is. It's because it's lust for the forbidden. Yeah. You want to make something uninteresting? Like oh, drugs. Those are cool. Legal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Heroin's legal. I don't want that. <laughs> Why don't you do that as a technique for stunning cars, man? This car is illegal in 43 countries. Well, I mean, it, 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 it works pretty well. It's called JDM. Um, <laughs> but it's illegal. Some, some are. If they were built 25 or more years ago here in the United States, 15 or more years okay, ago. Okay, so here's a question for you. I, I've been, I have this debate with people. When you bring a car in, you just can bring a car in if it's 25 years old. It doesn't have to be 25 years and a particular month it was made. It has to be 25 years old to the day. That's, I've heard that's not, but okay. Well, okay, that, that's the letter of the law. That's the letter of the However, law. the people at the ports seemingly are not buying I, I, I had this discussion a while ago, because I've been bringing cars that are 25 years old only. Never had a problem, but I, before I did that, I talked to my friends at Cosdell, because they've been doing that for years. They said, never have a problem. No one cares about it. It's just the year. It's, it's the kind have of thing Have you read this or have you, have you read this in, in little letters somewhere or you, is this just, your, I want to know where your knowledge is coming from. I want to know, man. Oh. Now, a friend of mine had a car that he was going to import, but he was told he should not By import who? it until it is. Who told him, George Soros? No, it was importer. I don't remember who his importer was. Ah, uh, okay. So that's the thing. That's popular. I think that's, that's the problem. I think it's not to the day. But what, I, I mean, I, I personally, you know, it, it, as is with most things involving cars and government, um, there is the rule and then there's the reality. Right. The rule is whatever it is. The reality is they're not going to check. I mean, to the day you're going to provide manufacturing papers. It doesn't say the day the car was built in the door jam so, like it does on a car made for the U.S. market. How do you spell the? How do you spell jam? With the B at the end. Oh, so good. You know how often I see people spelling door J J A M? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you put on some. I like some door jam. Door yeah, exactly. I've seen cars with door jam. <laughs> Well, very old ones. I feel like that's like, that's like smegma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow, we are off the rails. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> that's a word I haven't said in like 35 years. That's let's, a word I never thought would yeah, have been incorporated into a podcast. Yeah, maybe we just colors. don't say that ever. Is that, a, is that like a technical term or is that not a technical term? I don't, why, no. Get off, no. What? Okay, mm-hmm. all right. I just thought we could get some more sponsors with that. We can talk about that extensively. <laughs> when There's you, a big market. When, but, you, when you have Glenn on the podcast, you're going to have <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Oh wait, so what oh, was the so car weird. your friend was bringing in? Uh, it was a uh, 22B. Oh, okay. They might pay a little more attention to that. Um, not really. Not really. It, like, I mean, it just looks like a super. Right? If, 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 if the honest reality is, when it comes to customs and the DMV, uh, they have a hammer, and everything looks like a nail. 
So if you go to register or import your whatever it is, it doesn't matter how much it's worth. They are just processing paperwork. They get a piece of paper in front of them and they're either going to accept it or deny it. And sometimes it's unfortunate. And I hate to say this because like, I deal with a lot of, of these agencies a lot. Um, and um, sometimes it just exit the building, return, see a different person. The result will be different. Wait, you're talking about I'm lost now. Who are you? <laughs> what are you you're talking about registering cars? Registering cars, importing just sometimes it just is you yeah, know, no, it's the wrong true. person who's that's who why their their job is to create work. And the best way to create work is to say, whatever I have doesn't work. Right. You need to go back and do this. Right. And I've now used some of my time, which is great because I'm just being paid to sit here. Um, so it's, it's, uh, that's why you need a guy. Yeah. You need a guy. I have a, there's a aesthetic guy in Brooklyn. Yeah. Use. Everyone uses that guy. Yeah. And, and I love it. on Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> he has a, a Shabbos boy. He has a Shabbos boy. Wait, is there actually a guy? Yeah. There's no, actually I, a guy. I, I, he's I, actually aesthetic. And I go there and it's genius because first he's got his like 12 year old daughters working there and there's, and there's, <laughs> they're, they're barely, they barely acknowledge you as a human being when you go in. It's kind of amazing. Uh, but you give them all this stuff, and then it mer- and like a couple of weeks later, like, he just goes, I was going to get your papers. And then that's it. That's it? Go and get your papers. Well, you're not, he, he's not being paid for his customer yeah. service. <laughs> so that's so right. He interacts with that's their right. paid for their I customer would, service. I would like a little, uh, you know, in back, a little banter maybe. Yeah? We could talk about... Have you, have you ever been at the DMV? They're not much into the banter sort of thing. I've had a few bantery people. Have but they? Not, yeah, but were they in line or were they behind the counter? No, behind. Oh, okay. Because you know what? I think they're misunderstood. I feel like they, people, people are never very happy about being there. Yeah. That, that, but that, if you reach out the hand of friendship. Uh, are you actually allowed to touch them or is that like you go to jail? I, 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 lean, I lean across, I embrace. That sounds like something no. you go to jail. That's like a Harvey Weinstein kind of situation. Like, that's like if you lay hands on like an MTA employee, it's like seven years. That's like Giuliani who got... Who, <laughs> Do you read? Do you not read this thing he, uh, he, about Giuliani? Has he been in the news recently? Like well, in the last several years? He said he, he said he was attacked from behind by some guy at a thing, and then they looked at the yeah, video. I heard about this. They looked at the video, and it was just the guy like, literally gives him a pat on the back. Yeah, I heard about this. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. I heard he also dropped the charges. Yeah, 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 he dropped the charges. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Also, why is he in Staten Island? Because it's the bastion of. Republicanism in New York City. <laughs> he was there for the summer. He, Good he, thing he, Island. he was summering on Staten Island. Among other things. <laughs> so, so, so bonds, fifteen years. Um, a lot of cars, a lot of motorcycles. So, uh, okay. So I know that you have like, this is. <laughs> give me the top three most enraging things about people trying to sell their cars because it's got to. I mean, I know you're gonna have to narrow it down from a list of forty-seven thousand. But because it's got to be presumably everyone always thinks their car is much more valuable than it is. Is that ninety nine percent of the time? Sometimes it is more valuable. Um, it's. I would say that the number of instances where I ask someone what they think their car is worth and they give a value that is. Can you give a bit of rough an, an example of? Um, <laughs> I can sign a, a Cobra, a two eighty nine Cobra, and I was, and this is a guy. I've, I've known for a long time and I've worked with him on a number of things on both sides. And I was like, what do you think the car's worth? And he said, I think it, you know, the estimate should be this. And I said, great. 
I have, I have, there's the, we, the discussion has been had. I think you're spot on and, you know, can sign the car, sold it for top estimate. Okay. But I, I think it's, it's sometimes, it's <laughs> Wait, hard. that was not the example. <laughs> so, the, so for instance, someone wants to sell a Porsche and they say, oh, it's worth, uh, 250 grand. I mean, that, that's the rare example. The right. common example is, um, I have car X. I see that the world record price for car X is whatever. I think mine is is probably better than that. So I think the estimate should start at 20% above world record, <laughs> which is great. That's lovely. I like that. I, I like the, the I like your gustos, the I like the confidence. That's nice. Um, <laughs> let's say you're a buyer because it's, it's, it's shocking, especially, I mean, there's certain types of, and, and I'll, and I'll put, point this out first. People don't choose the cars they buy. Cars choose the people they will allow to inhabit them. That's why, and look, stereotypes are not, stereotypes, stereotypes are not always true. We know that, but they're true enough at the time to reinforce the stereotype. So if I say, and that guy's a Corvette guy, you know exactly what I'm saying. You know exactly that he's wearing jorts. He has a, he has a, a shirt with a Corvette on it. He has a, a New Balances or Air Monarchs. Absolutely. Yeah. And white. Wait, what are jorts? Jean shorts. Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't wear jean shorts? I'm just familiar with jeggings. I didn't know there was a subsection. Yeah, or like a jean short onesie would be the kind of thing you might wear. Are they jites? Um, probably. I don't know what those are. What are jites? Oh, jean, jean tights? Yeah. I think that, that's, that's a jegging. That's what a jegging is. Oh, just, why isn't it jite? Because that, that, yeah, that's like exactly a shite, I think. Jites are shite? See, we could, it's all a marketing campaign. But in any case, um, so certain marks have people who have higher opinions of what their cars are worth when they're selling them, but very low opinions when they're buying them. I always love, you know what, and you can the, sometimes catch them that is doing the, that exact same thing in a, in, a, in a sentence. That's the Italian model for watches. Like, I can't tell you how often when you're buying a watch from an Italian dealer, it's an astronomical price, but when they're trying to buy one from you, it's your, you, they're, they're outraged that you're asking for which is quite reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's amazing how there are folks who will come to our auctions and always be like, oh, so that's the, these, these prices are outrageous. They're way too high, way too high. What do you think your car's worth? Oh, it's worth a lot more than that. <laughs> okay. Um, and I mean, you know, it's very hard to get for a seller sometimes to accept the, uh, or not, not to accept necessarily, to step into the feet of the buyer. You know, to be in the shoes of the buyer and, and see. Even though they've been in those shoes. Even though they've been in those times. shoes, suddenly when, when the shoe is on the other foot, um, it's it's very difficult to accept the realities of how selling a car works, and also that selling a car is really hard. That's why you pay people to do it. So, what makes a car sell at auction if it's not anything particularly special? Um, a couple things. Luck. You mean like if it's like a yeah. Porsche 911, one of a million? <laughs> right. For um, instance, and I say that as a Porsche owner, we yeah. have a 911. It is one of a million. Plus, it's a, but it's a lovely burgundy. It's a lovely yeah. It's it's Ooh. burgundy red. Gives specs. Uh, 1968 Nine hundred and ten horsepower, maybe? On a good day. On a good day. But with the NOS, what is it? Uh, it's 110 horsepower, and oh. it's got a can of unopened NOS, I guess. <laughs> that the, the energy drink? Is that what you're talking about? It's been baking in the sun. Yeah. yeah. Mm, delicious. <laughs> um, it's like an energy drink, really. Yeah, but, you know, if it's just a, <clears throat> a generic car, yeah. and, and uh, you know, look, all cars are great, but some cars are more common than others. Um, it's about how the car is presented, 
um, the quality condition and everything about the car. And then also, it, no matter how great of a presentation we can do on a car and how wonderful a car is as a vehicle, it all comes down to there's a number at the bottom of the page. And what is that number? And I mean, reserve has an effect, obviously, uh, not an insignificant one, but that estimate has a has a, a, a very large um, effect on what people will do, even without reserve. So, because I'm interested in watch auctions, they always have reserves that are or estimates uh, that are very low. Yeah, and and, and I I know and that there's watch- all the confidence <laughs> you have. You're like, ooh, maybe I'll get it. Exactly, price. exactly. But and the thing that kills me is I know that estimate is bullshit. I know that there's no way this watch is going to sell for like between six Do and you? twelve. Yes, but what? But, 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 but that's the thing. Part of me, the the endless like the endless sucker that I am thinks, well, I know that estimate's unrealistic, but I should just put in a bid just in case. Yeah. And, uh-huh. then, and it's totally, I know I'm being manipulated, but I can't help myself in this Right, and, and I mean, because I'm, I'm a weak milk It's toast. not bad, it's that you are a normal person with, uh, not that you're normal, but like you have, that, that, that is a normal psychological response to, that looks like, I'll, I would pay that. Right. And So that gets people involved. The I, more, the more, the, here's the thing. If you're bidding in a vacuum against nobody, your confidence levels may not be as strong. Right. So if you're bidding on a car... Hang on, let me just... Uh, so your confidence levels are not that strong because you feel like you're the only one who thinks this is any good, so maybe it's not that good. Am I the only schmuck that thinks this? Yeah. Is, you, just, is it just me that thinks this car is worth that yeah, much? Am, so, I over, am I overpaying? Right. You know, and, um, and because cars have... Uh, you know, they, they used to be uh, pure hobbyist things. Now there are asset classes and the more the money matters, or the less the money matters, the more the money matters, which is to say the more money someone has, the more they care about how much is being spent and how much they are, you know, getting out. So wait, if you have less money, you you, wait, what? Who? The less... How do you get this money? I I, I, I found (laughs) it... Did you just just talk yourself into a crude discount? I found that when, when selling a car or buying a car, if someone is incredibly wealthy, they will not. They, they they will refuse to lose money on something, even right. though the money is is meaningless. Like if they lose a hundred thousand dollars on a car, you know, if they have a pile of skittles the size of a building and they mm-hmm. miss a few skittles, it's not going to actually make an appreciable difference. But it's blood right. sport. Right. Whereas if you're dealing with someone for whom the money is relevant, they will be more willing to just. You know, that's the way the world is. I will accept that. Right. And or if they're buying, they'll so be more willing think, to keep so, so do you think it's ego? For yeah. People, yeah. I mean, everything. This is all ego. Nobody needs. We. I am selling. A, you know, I, I, I love it when I was in San Francisco and everyone was you know, trying to make the world, I'm making the world a better place. We're making a Twitter for cats. cats did you wear, did you wear, wear, like did you wear square-toed Aldo shoes? I didn't. I've never worn. I think square-toed Aldo <laughs> shoes are disgusting. That's, that that's is what the I, bottom of the barrel. When, when right I think there. of, when I, first couple of things. One is whenever I meet people who live in San Francisco, it's important to say Frisco. Oh, God. Straight yeah, face. Yeah, you yeah, say yeah, straight yeah, face. Oh, from Frisco. Yeah, I but also a skin crawl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then also square-toed Aldo's. Yeah. It's like an epidemic, like roaches in New York. Is it there? Yeah. I, I guess I was going to say Allbirds is more of an epidemic. Well, I, 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 I left in 2011, so Allbirds didn't exist. Square-toed Aldo's. Come on now. Maybe we're on the way out by then? <laughs> I, I think the, the, there, there were a lot of no-toes. It was mostly sandals. 
Um, and if not sandals, it's just everyone dresses like shit there is the short answer. It's like, oh, I've got the more money I've got, the more I'm going to look like I dress like shit. I'm wear a hoodie that doesn't fit right. I'm going to wear jeans. I always thought those people try to be dressed like New Yorkers, but like somehow not. Oh, no, not. no, no, they're not. They're, 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 they're pushing against the fact that the New Yorkers take like two seconds to be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it so I look presentable today. Whatever that presentable is, it doesn't necessarily mean they, you know, are, are wearing like a tailored suit. They just look like they spent some time thinking about what their outfit was. Whereas in San Francisco, people, at least when I was there, maybe it's changed. When you were there a long time. Uh, yeah, um, there was there's a lot of pride in 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 looking like you didn't care how you dressed. Which look, that's great too. It's well, there's a word. one less thing to worry. It's about. like a version of spazzatura. 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 As uh, as our mutual friend Bradley described, our, our former president's style. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's pretty good. But no, I mean, so I, I, I derailed I, you, man. You were, yeah, in, yeah, you, no. were, you were in the middle of you were talking yourself into some conversational corner that you couldn't extricate yourself from about rich people. There's an ego or something. Or well, I mean, it's all about ego, and because again, nobody needs. I, I am selling things that nobody needs, and um, not just nobody needs. There's like a societal net zero for what I do. I help primarily rich white men buy and sell things they don't need. I mean, right. that is the that, that is a, in a nutshell the description of the auction business. I right. feel like you do not need therapy because you understand who you are in this world. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it, there's no reason to, to sugarcoat what I do. And I love when people say <laughs> like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm helping. You're helping people achieve their dreams. If I want to look at what I'm doing as, as, a, as a societal net positive, I can say, you know, look, motor cars are in a lot of ways a reflection of the way that people and society is feeling or whatever is the popular movement in design or in culture or whatever. And you can see that in, like, if you look at cars from the 20s, you see a lot of, and then 30s, you see a lot of Art Deco features, right? And where did the Art Deco movement come from? It came from the opening of King Tut's tomb in, what, 1924, I think? Um, so Wait, or, no, that was a whole, that was a separate thing. That was, that was, it was a whole Egyptian craze that's, but they incorporated real Egyptian ideas. I don't think it was incorporated but in there Art was, Deco. If you look at Art Deco, you look at Egyptian really? design, I, it's I, very... Similar, <laughs> thought along. The Egyptians are the original slappers. Yeah, totally. A lot of them Yeah, the bomb is not exactly the thing I was thinking of as Art Deco, but <laughs> um, but then if you look at like cars from the fifties, what is it? It's all jet age, and it doesn't matter what country. I know that the United States like really went deep in jet age, right. but if you look at like a launch ship, what it, it's got sort of aeronautical design features. Really? Yeah, I think so. I like look at the tail lights. Well, they look like jet, jet, yeah. like jet engines. That's not a. That's okay, not a, so what about. <laughs> so what are cars doing now then? But they're looking like phones. <laughs> People want electronics, they want, they want appliances for cars, and now they have them. Congratulations. But don't you think they've been appliancey for a while? Yeah, but they've, they've now. They, I think they've, they've crossed the uncanny valley of. Although, you know who's not doing appliancey cars? What, Hyundai? Hyundai. Hyundai? Yeah. I think Hyundai's cars are... The electric I mean, Honestly, the South Koreans are doing... I think they're making beautiful cars. I, and I don't know a lot about modern cars because they kind of make me glaze over because they're just appliances, all of them, even right. the supercars. Um, not that I want someone, happy to someone. Um, but uh, they, I, they're they great well, looking. What, you know what's interesting to me about Hyundai is that I think they see... They, for years, you never, no one ever considered Hyundai as... 
and making it be memorable. They were cars you drove and you threw away at the end of it. But I think they seized on the electric revolution as a chance to go, okay, we're going to make stuff that's super different from everyone else. And, be, and, and the Ionic 5, I, just, I was just looking at the Ionic 6 the other day. Uh, I mean, they're really doing stuff that's radical I in terms of design. They're taking advantage of the fact that, um, first off, electric cars as a platform offers an opportunity sure. to divorce yourself from what has traditionally been the requirements of the ICE, uh, internal combustion engine car, which yeah. is to say, an internal combustion engine car is a big lump, it needs cooling, and the engine has to be somewhere. Right. Whereas if you look at electric cars, it was actually General Motors that pioneered the, skateboard. the skateboard design. I, but I, 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 I mean, I'm really, well, you're right, we're in, we're, I, and I keep saying this, I really hope we're on the cusp of an amazing revolution in design. But, but Hyundai are doing things that most people aren't in terms of design. I think they're making prototype concept cars That's that right. you can buy. Yeah, that's and they're, right. They're, they're smoothing out the lines and they're getting rid of certain design elements or softening the elements in ways that look good, but acknowledge the fact that this is not a necessary element of the car. Like the front of the Ionic 5 doesn't have a radiator, doesn't have a right. fake radiator, but doesn't that's have what an I, opening, yeah, it just has, it has a big panel. Right. And I think that's great. I think it's Me awesome too. that they're, in, they're incorporating like, look, this is... This is a false panel. And we're kind of going backwards from, um, for those few people, or maybe a lot of people, I don't know, who don't realize like electric cars aren't new. Electric cars outsold gasoline cars mm -hmm. uh, in the early part of the uh, 20th century. Yeah. Um, but electric cars looked very different from gasoline cars. Again, they didn't have the same requirements in design. So you could make an electric car primarily marketed towards women because they didn't have a starter, they were easy to operate, <clears throat> you know, they were dirty, they didn't vibrate, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they look like the telephone booth on wheels. Essentially, a living room one was you had a couch on one side, a couple of sitting chairs on the other side. There was a tiller to steer it, um, and you know shades you could draw. Coffee of, maker. Yeah, 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 totally. All that stuff. Little um, fridge. And as electric cars started to lose to gas cars, primarily after the invention of the starter. Well, you know, well, a large part of what changed the drove the acceleration of gas cars was the First World War uh, and the electric starter. And that. But mostly the first of all, we're going to have to throw, off, throw down something. Oh, the electric starter was the biggest. Fine, yeah. electric starter. He's not gonna, I'm not, he's not gonna win this. I'm going to say World War One. Uh, why? I'd like to hear your, your... Why? Because they needed they needed machines that would work. And they, well, it was a fuel situation because you couldn't charge those things quickly and, you, and they didn't have much in the way of range in terms of gasoline cars for the First World War. They, had, they needed to have transport for troops. They well, eventually needed tanks, airplanes, all that stuff needed gas was much more that as a fuel system is much more practical than having electricity. Oh, no, that, that, that was always true. But it was like base battlefield is, is not Manhattan. Well, sort of. No, I know, but what happens, what happens in war, you see great technological advances are often made precipitated by war. Yeah, no, that's, that's, they, they push that's forward the biggest technology. thing that pushes forward technology. That's right. the best way to kill someone. <laughs> well, I mean, and all, the, and, and all the ancillary su supporting technologies around the best way to kill someone. And break things, yeah. And break things. <laughs> Well, that, like that, you know what, and that's what's happening actually in Ukraine. Actually, oddly enough, is that that's pushing Europe towards renewable fuels and, and and more green. Yeah, because they have to. They've got to get off the Russian all, business. All the all the chatter uh, for the last few decades in the United States about how we make more fuel efficient cars. I know how you can make more fuel efficient cars. Make gas seven bucks a gallon. All of a sudden, people are going to want to buy fuel efficient cars. Right. But um, I mean, a World War One definitely moved ahead the electric, the IC engine, 
but the ability to not have to crank it, right. which involves both strength and danger. Yeah, because you could break your wrist with that hand. Oh, you could. Right? The reason the, the electric starter was invented is because the guy who invented it, his friend was killed after he tried to help someone start their car. They advanced the spark as opposed to retarded the spark, and that causes the crank to spin very quickly, and it uh, broke his jaw, and then he died of an sepsis or pneumonia or something like that. So, um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but um, I mean, the point is that uh, you know those electric cars—they looked like these telephone booths, and as they started to lose market share, and this was also true for steam cars. When you look at electric cars from the late 20s and even the 30s, because they did, like Detroit Electric existed up until the, the, early, the early 30s, they look like gas cars. They have a radiator, which is useless because they don't have a radiator. The radiator's surround, they have slats on the so wait, that's side still, of that, the that, the that, that to help with cooling for that, the engine that's not there. That aesthetic changed. That happened when? In the, th in the 20s? In the 20s and 30s, as electric car companies were losing, and steam okay. car companies were losing to gas cars, they made their cars look like gas cars with right. all the design elements <clears throat> of a gas car that a gas car has because it needs them, it needs a radiator, sure. it needs cooling slats that's always what, that's, that's, always what, uh, that's always what irritated me about electric car design, like the, the Tesla, although less so now, um, and the Mark E and all those things where they pretend to have these front grills, these radiators. Yeah. And I always found, and, I, and I'm, I'm guessing, that that decision was, was based on you know, weeks and weeks of market research, focus groups on the rest where people, they didn't want to freak out people with something too futuristic, so they leave the idea of a grill. Yeah, but 100%. Just, but they, want, they want people to feel like it still is, it, it, it's, it's familiar. But I wonder if that... Well, you have to ease people into adoption of new things. Oh, always. Yeah, but, but I, I think But that, I wonder if I, I wonder... Like look, like you're saying, the Ionic Five has no. There's no nod to a. I mean, there's to. I mean, to a, the conventional idea of a grill, right? Yeah, but um, I mean, you know, again, I think it depends on the market you're you're playing towards. Like, let's say you're going to introduce, I don't know, an electric pickup truck. Sure. You want that to look exactly like a gas pickup. Or the, the Rivian doesn't. The Rivian looks just like a gas pickup. No. Yeah. I think the proportions, the proportions are. No, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about proportion. I'm talking about the front fascia. Looks to, to me, at least, it, there's no nod to a grill. It's just it, it. It's actually it's really beautiful. I think the front of that car, that, that truck, is really lovely. I think okay. it is. I think it is. And it doesn't. To me, they may, they're not pretending. They're not. They're not pretending it's a gas car. Except for the way that the the the, the silhouette and the overall design. Yeah, yeah, but very much gas right. car. Yeah, but that's but that's. Well, but that's because I think people want the familiar, and that's, I, I, that's fine. I think it's I think it's great. It's it, it, you can't push people to I don't, well, I don't, well, accept things overnight. Um, but it, it's it's interesting to me just because electric cars divorce you from the necessaries of having all this extra space for Stuff. mechanics, right? Um, and no car company has really pushed it to the edge in concept or in in production of what you could potentially do with an electric car. But, you know, <laughs> we'll see, I guess. They're all appliances anyways. I'm, I'm you know, when it comes to modern cars, I get asked a lot, like, oh, you, you, you must drive a lot of cars. If you could have any car to drive every day, what would you want? And the answer is, eh, something connects to my phone, and I don't really care. I mean, I'm going point A to point B, you know. You know what I mean? You know everything can do the speed limit, which is, or a little bit of 10, 10 over it, which is basically how fast you need to go. 
Um, so, you know what I, you know what I connect to my phone, I'm happy, you know what I play music, I can make phone calls. The thing, the thing I would like is, first of all, I'm super into electric. I really love the experience of driving it. I think it's really fun. I think that to make some sort of comparison to electric and, and IC is a bit, it's kind of a waste of time really, because it's just a different experience. But for me, I would like an electric car that just drives itself on the highway. Yeah. So, because I like the idea that you could just, you know, like you know, you're talking about the living room on wheels kind of thing. Like that would be great if you just sit down, you turn your seat so you're facing your family, you sit, you, know, you watch TV or you talk to people. I like that idea. Well, but I mean, you're driving on the highway is a pain in the ass. Well, I, I agree, and that's why. I mean, obviously Tesla is in hot water for obviously mismarketing their stuff. It's full self-driving autopilot that isn't, it's not actually self-driving, full self-driving, but mostly there, but we're going to call it full self. Right. I mean, GM Supercruise is very honest about what it is, and Mercedes has something like that. And, you know, Yeah, it's you get on the highway, you turn it on, and you still have to pay attention because they're not at 100%. And, sure. You know, if you're beta testing something on your phone, what happens? Your phone crashes. Ah, I lost a few minutes. Right. But if you're beta testing something in a car, especially the driving element of it, if you crash into something and you get injured by yourself, fine. You were the beta tester. You kind of yeah, but presumably this is showing up as beta tested. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what the Tesla stuff is. Right. Um, and but whereas <laughs> if you um, it's just like when you're on the highway and you see that guy in a Dodge Charger that's weaving in and out without signaling ever, and it's usually a Charger or a Challenger. It usually is a Charger or a Challenger. Yeah. Or, around here, an Altima. Right, yeah. right. It well, is. Yeah, here yeah. are a lot of Altimas. But the point is, like, Max we're Max. all playing to a set of rules, and they're playing to a different set, and I got no problem with them playing to that different set, except for the fact that they're putting everyone else in danger for their playing to a different set of rules. If you're on a racetrack, by all means, everyone's playing to that set of rules. And I think a lot of people feel safer on a racetrack with a bunch of people going inches away from each other at very high speeds because they know the other guy is going to be playing by the same set of rules. Whereas when you're on the highway, you want everyone playing the same set of rules in that you're not going to weave in and out. Your speeds are going to be roughly equivalent. And if they're not, move over. You're not talking about politics, right? I'm not talking about politics at all. <laughs> it's, it sounds, it sounds. No, this is purely rules of the road. I don't discuss politics with, uh, with, 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 anyone. with anyone, clients especially. But, um, Wait, yeah. I'm a client? Hmm? I thought we were friends, man. I mean, just, yeah, friends, just a client. You're a, you're, you're you're a potential client. And if, client. and if this thing in front of me was, was, was not <laughs> here, I would, I would consider discussing politics. Uh, you know, don't worry about it. You'd have to go down that rabbit hole. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's uh, you know... The self-driving car is great, but I'd like for people to still have to pay attention. Right. But I'm, I'm looking forward to the idea of radical design. I mean, I feel like we should be where the 70s were with concept cars, but electric cars. I mean, remember how in the 70s it was, it was just an endless time? Always blabbering on about the sort of halcyon era of the 70s with the boomerang, the, the, the Citroen Karen, which oh, is an unfortunate still- name now. You still have crash safety regulations, though. No, I know, but surely they might. I mean, you just think there's got to be. I wonder. I would love to see all the rejected stuff, because you have to think there must be so much amazing stuff that just doesn't get past the multi-layered boards of average. Oh yeah, unquestionably. It's like I I bet it's like uh, it's like Alien, where you see all like the half-baked 
you know, like the guy for the head, like the new electric F-150, but he put the cab at the back. He's like, put the bed in the front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. The CEO's like, cab backwards. <laughs> right. That right. way you can see what's in the front of the, ah, oh, you could check on your merchandise. Yeah, exactly. Keep yeah. an eye on it. Exactly. If, if stuff's flying out of it, you know, yeah, it's hitting the People are sneaking into the bed. Yeah. To sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like those, uh, Bikes, you see moms taking kids to school and they got the big bucket in the front. Yeah, you know the kids are in there. Yeah. One of them fell out, you'll know. Yeah, you'll see it eventually. Yeah. But I'm always amazed when I see people. I know that in Holland that's totally normal because that's, like you say, there's a kind of accepted rule of the road thing. Everyone knows that everyone, a lot of people are on bikes, a lot of people take their kids. But in New York, when I see people ferrying their kids around in the, in the front buckets on the bike, I think, I feel like I wouldn't, I would have an accident. As someone who bikes a lot in the city, mm-hmm. I city bike. I don't have a bike. I city bike, and I, I, I only did in city bike. Did you bike ever here. own a bike? Hmm? Did you ever own a bike? In Not in New York. No. So <laughs> I used to own a bike, and then the following happened to me twice, and then I just city bike from now. And this is a, <laughs> so I, I, I was like, I was getting like physical therapy for a shoulder or something. So I, I biked over to the place, and then after I had physical therapy. I walked home because I forgot that I biked home. <laughs> and then like two or three days later, I was like, oh, I need to bike somewhere. Where's my bike? And I was like, oh, shit. It's somewhere, but I can't remember where I left it. Yeah. So I lost the bike. <laughs> and then that happened to me twice because I'm clearly, I've got like early onset Alzheimer's. So then you went out and got another bike and did the same thing. Yeah, but that was like two years later, I did the same thing. City so bike is for you. So I said city bike. You should put a tile on that or something. Well, they didn't have, this is, didn't have tiles. No, that's a good point. Well, that's I could pay, pay like a street urchin, a, a halfpenny, or a farthing to keep an eye on it. Yeah, a farthing, yeah. Yeah, yeah a shilling. You're penny farthing. There you um, go, kid. But uh, no, I mean, I've, I've biked, well, I guess my city bike app says about 3,500 miles in the city. And, um, you just made that number. No, I didn't. I how did you know that? Because it tells oh, you yeah, roughly how many. Yeah, oh, the city bike it app does. tells you like how many rides you have and oh. roughly how many miles you can bike. I didn't know that. Yeah. But the point is, like, yeah, it's, it's I, I, look. I know that people are going to turn left or right in front of me. I know that. I know that tourists are not going to be paying attention to the fact that you just stepped into the bike lane. Have you ever fallen off? Have I ever fallen off? I've been doored once. I've never been doored, but I fell on a patch of ice. I don't bike on patches of ice. That's how you avoid that. Well, I mean, it wasn't like an intentional choice. I did lunge for the patch of ice. I was like, oh, that looks fun. It's like black ice? Yeah. Yeah, I don't ride when there's black ice. Thirty-eight below. Uh, you don't ride. Oh no, 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 no! That's not true. I will definitely ride when it's very cold. But I'll, you know, I, I I grew up in Chicago, so I grew up the windy city. The windy city, um, and so I, I'm well familiar with driving in winter. And driving in winter is everything slower, everything slippery. Right. No black eyes. Well, there might be, but it's a night. It's hard to find black ice in New York because as soon as the first flake falls, they're just like salty shit out of everything. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like it's not like a normal amount of salt. It's like oh, no. it's, it's a gigantic clump in the intersection. Right, literal literal truckloads. And I mean that's that's the thing about I've always been tickled about the, like the huge drifts. demand for you know big SUVs and trucks and stuff like that for people that probably could get by with a wagon um, because I, I need all wheel drive or four wheel drive. Why? Well, it snows. And how long is the snow on the ground? Well, not long is the answer because they plow it immediately. I mean, I guess if you if you live out in the exurbs or something, it's not plowed immediately. But do you know the answer to why people don't like wagons here? Yeah, probably because of the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. There was an association with wagons. It's been the same reason they don't like minivans. So wagons were associated with like moms picking up their kids. Yeah, they were associated. So, what, so because. It, 
So why are these so popular in Europe, do you think? Is it there's not that association? I think it's a combination of there's not that association and gas is very expensive, wagons get better mileage. Do you think? Than yeah. Other than trucks. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. that we make something lighter and, and smaller. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> is this is amazing, man. I know. You, should, we, you need to come on here on a regular basis. Because actually, when I Wait, came there, in, there was a, a lovely black E39 BMW 520 and I parked outside. And that, that, that was, that, that's the, 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 zen, the zenith, is how I guess you'd say it? Yeah. The zenith of, of, I think, BMW's modern design era was the late 90s. They were just on it. And then... Is it thick? Did you poke in? I didn't poke in. Did I just saw it. I, I, I should have to, to buy personally for myself as a daily. But um, you could. Well, you should tell people you're you're leaving New York. Yeah, I am leaving New York. But you're giving up? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Ah, ah, you quitter. Yeah, I guess it's amazing what having a child does. Um, Are you going to Hudson? I uh, no, 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 Texas. I'm Texas. What the? Fuck? Yeah. What? Yeah, my wife's family's from Texas. What part? Eric's had to explain this to... You've, how many times have you had this conversation? Yeah, every time I tell someone this. They go, why? Yeah. Well, New York is still... people that are always like, New York or nowhere, where are you from? I'm from somewhere else. I'm from Cleveland. Yeah. yeah, because once you've been to New York, then you don't want to be anywhere else. But I will say this, New Yorkers have a strange... Um, there's a strange sense of outrage and betrayal for people who leave. Like, you know, you know, they feel like you've put, they, they feel well, like it's, it's outrage, but it's covering a twinge of envy. Yeah, you're right. Because yeah. everyone, I think a lot of Oh, you're going to have like, a real house in the yard? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. What's my income tax in New York and in Texas going to be? <laughs> zero. <laughs> is it um, zero income tax? It's a zero income tax. Is it massive sales tax? No. So how do they. Is Pro- it just property tax? I see. Shitloads of oil? Yeah. And the electric grid is not that good. You get a solar and you get a pistol. Yeah, you, as soon as you arrive, you go to the DMV to register. Right. You, they, they, yeah. so here's, your, here's your driver's license and here's your open carry pistol. Yeah. Are you going to open carry? No, I'm Why? Because a bullet, you need one in the, you know, all it takes to stop a bad guy. Is well, wait, are you living in the suburbs or like out on a ranch? I'm um, living in the city. There's cities in <laughs> Texas. I've been to Texas. I've seen Basically, Minoxidil, he's getting a set of like yes. bison fur chaps and he's going to live in a wooden shack <laughs> and, and you're in a Jewish rancher. He's going to be a Jewish mountain man <laughs> in a flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 1,500 head of kosher cattle here. What's the name of the, what's the, name of the ranch going to be called? Like the Twin Payas? What's it going to be? Yeah, the Flying J. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 10 out of 10. That is a 10 out of 10. Well, well done, turned off my cat. Yeah. I was a bit more obscure with the Twin Payas. Yeah. Um, no, that would, that would be tough. Plus, it, it, I mean, the flying foreskin. You have to buy more letters on the sign. Yeah. So, flying J, keep it short. Right. <laughs> you can get rid of the G. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, I mean, living in San Antonio, okay. seventh largest city in the country. Thank. Oh, you got all the factoids. Yeah. You know what I like about people who leave? They always know an unholy amount of factoids about their place they go, which proves that it's better than New York. I'm not saying it's better than New York. It's just yes, different you than are. New York. No, it's not. It's just, not. New York just... has many. I, I I love New York. I'll be visiting often, um, but you know the life life changes, and uh, I can also drive a car. Well, I can't really drive in the summer because it's too hot. But the hill country has fabulous roads, so I'm very much looking forward to taking advantage of that. Right. Too hot for you. Too hot. And from a business perspective, there's a lot of money in Texas, and so there's a lot of car people in Texas. This That's is true. true. But wait, so what do you have in? terms of cars right now because you have yourself a wife a child yep. a dog 
Uh, no. No? No, it's not responsibility with the, with the child. Okay, so you need something that gets two and a half people around. Um, yeah. I mean, this is this has become a real problem for me. I haven't owned a real car since I lived in San Francisco. When I lived in San Francisco, my first real car, time. to give you an idea, yes, first go, the, the idea of, of what my, my standards for dailies were are, uh, I had a, a, a 99 Cadillac Sedan DeVille living in San Francisco. Um, not a driver's car, but very comfortable. And I used to go up in the mountains. I mean, what I love about San Francisco is if you don't like the weather, just drive a few hours <laughs> another season. So, um, you know, I would go skiing every weekend because I rented a house with some friends up in Tahoe and I could fit three sets of skis in the trunk, trunk clothes. And I could, I could get chains on and off that Cadillac in five minutes flat. And um, so that was, it was great cars, a lot of fun. You take Dramamine and took it on the twisty roads. But um, so now I have to like buy another daily. And part of me is like, I should get something. Why do you get an electric car? Um, I've thought about that, but I mean, if, if I, 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 there's not an insignificant number of instances where I go and see clients who are maybe two or three hours away, and I don't have to recharge for half an hour in that route. Okay. Or ask them when you get there. Hey, mind if I plug in? Mind if I plug in? Can I just make this extension cord to your kitchen window? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so what are you gonna? <laughs> well, part of me is like, you know, what I really like is and and. Everyone can shit on me for this. Buick Regal Tour X. I think that's a, it's an Opal Stigma based, you know, uh, wagon. Why are you getting this Zuzu Cross? I, I thought it's a two-seater. It's a two-door. Wow. Yeah. I and it's an incredibly But the Buick ugly. is an interesting what? choice. It is not ugly. Oh, the, the Buick Cross is ugly in a beautiful way. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's super cool because it's a, I think it's a very well-resolved piece of design in a very odd way. I think it's, I like it's, it's, the, it's the Pontiac Aztec done well. <laughs> Done really well. Very, very bizarre, very 90s, early 2000s. Um, but it actually. It, but it has a definitive design perspective that really works, whereas the Aztec. Just well, the like, Aztec's a committee. That's the wrong the Aztec. Yeah. They had a whole bunch of people designing that. Wasn't that, I remember, wasn't that marketed to like, uh, like the youth and they had, you know, you could turn into a tent in the back. Or what amazed me about the Aztec is, is it came out as a concept and everyone's like, oh, that is terrible. And GM's like, oh, yeah, we're going to build it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's other, I feel like there's a lot of examples of that happening, no? Uh, not as many, I think. But they really come up with a concept where they like debut a concept and they're like, what do you all think? And everyone's like, it's awful. And then they go, okay, we'll build it then. Think of another okay. one. You know, I, mean, I was thinking about the other day, and this is slightly unrelated. It's Chrysler in the 90s, where just everyone there was just taking a shitload of mushrooms because they made so many amazing, like the Prowler. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how, an insane car to how did that, build. Yeah, how did that be? How was that a production car? Even the PT Cruiser was kind of crazy and, uh, and unusual. Two, two words, Bob Lutz. That's right, Maximum Lutz. Yeah, yeah. I, I think That's if, an amazing if you have, idea. If you have that, and I mean, it's a brilliant idea. It's just, it's it's the halo car. What, you the Prowler? The, the Prowler, the Viper, the Ford GT. Yeah, they're not they're not targeting their, their sure. primary audience when they come out with these. They're targeting people you know who are going to come and buy a regular car. Right, it gets you in the door and they have it on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I saw the other day was... Um, that reimagined Thunderbird. Oh yeah, yeah, the one from the the one that's based on the Crown Vic from the uh, yeah and, early and, and I know this is weird, but I feel like it's not terrible except for the wheels. And is that weird? Experience. I mean, I think it's a great looking car. They did yeah. a great job designing it. It's just yeah. it's just a very boring car to drive. But a lot of people got those and then like parked them, thinking it was going to be a collectible. Right. Anyone who buys a car as an investment solely. Um, 
you're, you're probably not going to make money on that. Do you, uh, wait a minute. I if think you that, buy it as an investment, and you think I'm buying this as an investment. But come on, there's a certain category of cars that, you know, if you buy a McLaren F1, if you bought if you it, buy a Tomas Aguero, I you mean, you're just guaranteed to make millions. <laughs> the thing is, if you buy it thinking I'm going to make money on it, you probably won't. If you buy it thinking this is a great car, I love it, it's, it's awesome. Really? You think if you, if you think if I, if I went out and bought an F1, if I had the folding to buy one, money, you don't think that, I mean, even if I, look, I would love to own that car just to own it and drive it, but as but an investment, I feel like you're... Well, you I think your return is going to exceed that of any other, you know, investment. Well, that's impossible to say. Well, but it, but I, I would certainly, yeah. and I don't think you can make, you can't make that statement because you just, you don't know what the market's going to do. You don't know what the market's, market's going to do, but the thing is, there's a couple of things. First off, carrying costs are very high. Right. You have to maintain it, you have to store it, you have to, mine key. You have to insure it. Um, and then, you know, is it going to go up in value? It might. Do you think that, I, oh, here's a question for you. But, you know, if you, if you, if you look at like, oh man, if you had bought a McLaren F1 in 2001, you would have 20 times what you paid. Sure. What were they going for then? Like two or three million, right? No. No less? Under. About a million, million, million to a million and a half. Wow. Yeah. Um, but you know, you'd have your, you'd have all of your costs each year that would not be insignificant. Sure. So you, you, you have to build all this in. And once you've built all this in, you know, as an investment, again, if you're looking at purely as an investment. Well, you're um, talking about long-term. Long-term or sure. I mean, there's a lot of people who want to make just short-term flips. Short-term flip you can do still. If you're still looking at purely as an investment, you miss why people are buying cars. Okay, so let's just say just out of Because they enjoy the experience of cars. And when you turn them into a pure asset class, uh, it, it makes them very boring because they are kind well, of living, breathing things. They're things you drive and enjoy. And I mean, one of the things I think is very interesting about especially modern car collecting is, um, you know, the, uh, the fact that there's this big emphasis on it's got no mileage. It's like wine collecting now. Right. You know, we all, we, we talk about cars as I mean, this, this new Bugatti Koenigsegg Ferrari, whatever it is. Um, it can go zero to 60 in Blah blah blah. I can't right. it's, it's, it's all been handmade. Everything, this and the next thing, and it's got you know fifty miles on. You know, this is like Do you going to a friend's house. They pull out a bottle of Chateau Lafitte. This is amazing stuff. The juice in this bottle is you know, spectacular. It's you know really amazing stuff. We'll put this bottle right back on a rack and never drink it. But let me ask you this: Do you? Th- I feel like the low mileage thing is is a kind of an American thing versus European thing. Do you think that's wrong? I mean, there's tax laws in Europe that are changing that, um, which is to say that modern cars with, I can't remember the mileage, but it's not an insignificant number, under a certain amount of mileage, I think five or 10,000 kilometers or something like that, are full VAT. Oh, so if you have more mileage, you pay less. Correct. So they incentivize you to actually use the damn thing. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily yeah. that. I, it's, it's more so that, um, look, if you can, afford it, you can afford it. But VAT, usually in Europe, you pay VAT on service uh, for a car, which means that if you buy it at auction, for example, you're paying, you're paying VAT on the buyer's premium. Whereas if you are buying a Ferrari F50 that has 1,000 kilometers on it, you're paying VAT on the full purchase price, and that's 20%. 
So that's that's a big whack. That's a right. big. I didn't realize that. But I but but that but I do feel that that seems and maybe and look you you have you have a much better view of these things. But I do feel like a mileage thing is a much is a greater obsession here than it is elsewhere. Uh, like to some extent, I think that's partly because of the the cultural differences between Europeans, Brits, and Americans. Uh, Europeans drive a lot more. Um, you look at the types of events they hold, sure, and they just they drive their cars a lot more. All of their cars. Um, and, and they drive them like crazy people. Like yeah. the, at Goodwood, you see those vintage, the vintage races. I mean, they're just they're just banging he into each other. You. He didn't hit you. Yeah. He rubbed you. Yeah. Rubbing is racing. Yeah, the, 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 it's the, amazing the, the level watch of, of, of competitive driving. But even if you go on like a rally, right. the rallies are still, you know, a lot of uh, time distance speed rallies. They're they're actually competing. Right. Um, and sometimes they're competing really intensely, like in uh, Toronto uh, in, in uh, France. Yeah. That's like a very, very serious event. And, you know, these men and women are very, very good at it. Yeah. Um, and they're excellent drivers and they drive very hard. Um, in the United States, you know, you think of the major rallies. Right. You think of like the Colorado, Colorado Grand, Grand, and uh, it's more of a leisurely yeah. stroll. Yeah, and and you know, it's like oh, it's like two, three hundred miles a day, and then you you stop several times for luxurious meals, and you stay at a really nice hotel, right. and you know, you it's it's not that you're not hammering, right? Yeah, you're not hammering, and um, I, it's also I think in part because uh, the the density of the roads and the road design, you know, driving around a supercar in Florida, for example, that would put me to sleep. Right. You know, the, the most fun you're going to have is an off-ramp in one place. Otherwise, it's like dead straight and flat. Right. Um, whereas Europe has, for the most part, topography, or at least the roads curve and move and right. give you something to do. Right. So, um, yeah, there is, there's definitely a difference. And that's not to say, again, stereotypes do not apply to everyone always. There are lots of people who I know who have modern cars, uh, modern supercars, and they drive them a lot. But, you know, with modern cars... Well, even old cars, Yale, who was on the podcast a week ago, he drives his cars, I mean, my, hundreds and hundreds of thousands. I mean, tools, not tools. I mean, I've, I've put on, since 2014, about 20,000 miles on my life. Sure. So... You know, the, the, the reality of it is that, um, you know, everyone's different, but with old cars, you have typically smaller production numbers, and um, because the cars are of a certain age, you can basically maintain them to be nice, and you can just drive them, and there's less relevance as to, and I'm not saying there's no relevance to originality, there definitely is, but there's still value to a car that has been driven and then restored and well-kept. Whereas modern cars, typically the production numbers are much higher and every single one of them is exactly the same except for colors, maybe options, and the only thing you can control after the car is in the factory is the mileage. Right. So that's, that's the one thing that you have agency over. And as a result, that has become a major, major factor in the value of modern cars. Now, again, we're we're seeing, you know, these cars that come up for market with very few miles, those are the ones we're seeing sold publicly. And the reason you see them keep selling is because if the car has miles, the person is using it and enjoying it and, and probably want to keep it. Right. You know, and this is not exclusive to like a Bugatti Veyron or something. Look at Ferrari F40s. How many F40s come to market with like 15,000 miles on? 
<laughs> Basically not. No, right. It's always like 2,500. And why is that? Because the guy that has 15,000 more miles on his car, he's, he's driving it, he's enjoying it, he's enjoying the ownership experience to the extent that he doesn't want to sell it. Whereas the guy that never drives his car probably will not enjoy the car as much and also considers it more of an asset. And so they're, they're, they're going to be trading more often. Right. So you can, you can buy an ultra low mileage car much more easily than a higher mileage car. You're going to pay for it because it's, you're, you're I find, I someone's find, preserved it. I find that low mileage is an albatross. I don't like it because first of all, it means that it's the car's never been maintained. It most likely hasn't been serviced in the way it should be serviced. And then also, as you say, because that mileage has value, is a currency, when you add margin you drive it, then you devalue your car something. So I'd much rather buy a car with like 30,000 miles. Oh, I, look, I'm a purveyor of product, not an arbiter of taste. That's right. I am more than, you know, when I, when I go to see a car, I, I look at the car and I will give you my sense of where I think the car should be best offered at what value. And that's based on the market, it's based on trends, based on a lot of different things. Um, do I personally want to own that car? Don't ask me. Yeah, no, no, I get My opinion of watching the car is is not is not relevant because I'm I'm not buying it. So what what are the um, what are the cars that are sort of super hot now at auction that you see the car like oh I can sell this in two seconds? I mean, again, it, it really comes down to value. The Tesla um, Guara. Yeah, Guara. <laughs> we, we we have one coming up. Um, one of the July, fifty. July third. Is it a coupe or a? Or a it's a coupe. What color? Is it blue? Purple. Oh no, I've seen purple? the I've seen the listing for this one. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really good looking car. Purple. Purple. <laughs> you know how sometimes you know how sometimes you say words and then the more you say it, the weirder it sounds. Yeah, purple. But then you say it in English, purple. This is this is why. Wait, what were you saying it in previously? Because you said purple my, in my Eight. American accent. Eight. If you say it in in, in a, in a Erudite English accent. Which is why the English always sounds smart. It's all I got going for me. Yeah. So, so it's so wait. Purple. Purple. Oh, purple. purple. You're like putting a purr. Yeah, it's like a cat. There's a cat in there. Yeah, yeah. Wanting <laughs> to get out. <laughs> wait, what? So there's a violet colored. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's also actually there's a Maserati. Is it Maserati Light Turbo Spider or something? It's 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 the one that. It's red and it has no roof or windshield. Yeah, that was well the Barquetta. That's, that's what, the Barquetta. Yeah, so, Barquetta. so that's one of those too. Yeah, so the Guara basically, the Tommaso took that and turned, and he took that whole design. They're all the best, basically the same car. Yeah, except the the the, the, the De Tommaso is much better because it, it has a reliable German power it, plant. So okay, so oh interesting. So what's the estimate? I can't remember. Oh, come on. Come on, man. Is this, isn't the Stad it's, it's, sale? It's Stad. Yes. Stad. Do you watch Stad guy on Instagram? I do occasionally. It's <laughs> great. Wait, come on, man. You don't want to tell me this because it's disappointing me. It's sad. Like, 10, no, I literally, 10 I literally can't. Hundreds of cars a year we sell. No, I don't know if you remember I it. can't remember every Hold estimate. on, I'm on the site. I'm going to find it. What's the... It's oh. not even on the auction highlights. <laughs> the Guara I didn't I see there's a... Is that an SZ? There no. is an S, I think there's an S in there, yeah. I do love the S Oh, there's, it's Lero. Uh, yeah, it's Lero S. Oh, that's cool. Mm, delicious. That's an amazing bit of design. You know what I loved about Lamborghini in the 70s? Is they, they were doing, actually, you know what they were doing? They were doing what Hyundai is doing now. 
Yeah, they were. They were. They were. Because hang on, let me finish that. Um, so Hyundai is not saying they're not doing what Audi does, which is all cars look the same. They're making every car different, and that's and and Lamborghini did in the seventies. It was amazing. We think about their line. They had the Mura. They had the uh, uh, Contact, the, as you would call it. Is it what? A con, my, all my English friends and colleagues say Contact, which is it's kind of inappropriate. Yeah, Kunta. Oh, Kunta. <laughs> I didn't know that's how No, I have heard Kunta. It's Lero, which is, I think has always been a very that's a, that to me, that's a design that is very aged. crisp design. Yes, yeah, beautifully aged. The Espada, didn't, didn't they have the LM002 at the same time? That was in the 80s. Okay. Oh, shit, I've shamed myself. What, what else? Oh, they had the Uraco. Have I left anything out? But yeah. those are all four or five, five or six really disparate looking from they a design were, they standpoint. Were, they, were, they were very different looking. And I think one of the things that, you know, the Countach especially, and the Mura to, to an extent as well, um, uh, it, it's, it's, it is so breaking the mold. And we forget that, um, yeah. you know, that is a, it, it's, that, that's a car that today it's like, wow, that's kind of cool looking. Yeah, but think about it in, in 1971 when it came out sure. as, a, as a concept, like this thing dropping. This doesn't look like anything on the road. I mean, it is, it is. That's why I was so enraged when they reissued, they redid the Countach. Because it was such a, because to me, I felt like, as you say, when they did the original Countach, it was a radical idea. Right, and it looked like you say, like nothing on the road. And I feel like they should have taken that idea of nothing on it, looking like nothing on the road, and done something. And I think they really sullied that name this by is, making like a kit car yeah. version. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the problems with coming out with sort of a modern reinterpretation of a historic design is you know, you've got this spectacular, iconic thing, and then you're going to reissue it. Well, that's the thing, they should have. And to your point, yeah, the way they modernized it, it just kind of made it look more modern. But because now supercars look like what the Countach looked like originally, right. it doesn't stand out as much. But it, it, it's part of a trend that I find very amusing. Which <laughs> is, amusing which is something else. Which is coming out with a tribute to a prior famous model that is appreciated wildly in value. But this tribute is a multiple of the cost of the car it is tributing. Right. Mm. So, like, the, the, the new Countach... What's the, that go for, the, the new Countach, then? It's, like, two plus, two and a half million and or what's something. A, what's a real Countach go for? 700 to a million one. It's amazing. A million right? two. They've come, yeah. they've come off their peaks. Do you know what? They, they, were, they were more, and they've, they've yeah. kind of come... They're, they're not... They're, they're difficult to drive for any period of time because you're, you know. you're in a rather uncomfortable pain position. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, the, the design wise, it's so cool. You know the vertical odometer and the, the huge windshield and everything. And then, like the Bugatti, uh, the, the Centro Dice or Cento, the, the 110 tribute that they've come out with based in the Chiron. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that. That's like triple the price of a PB110 SS. Right. Um, you know, have you ever seen that? Uh, was that Japanese guy designed the. He took an Aventador or something and he, it was called the Code. Zero one, so code brown. <laughs> That's my constant state. <laughs> driving anything on a minute, constant code brown. The brown trouser that light is flashing. No, it's a code zero one. You know what I'm talking about? It's a Japanese guy. He redesigned it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. It's, that to me is really like I thought. That's an amazing piece of design. Yeah. And, it, and and it's I think it's silver 
Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's it. Oh, that's interesting. And then, but look on the inside, that when you open the door on the door jams that you spread on toast, there's, it's green and the outside silver. This it, he's he's done some really interesting things. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like generally speaking, that car, car makers don't take the experiments they used to. Right. Um, but they're also the, the costs are much higher. I take a very cynical view of all that stuff. The reissues, like, it's like Omega constantly reissuing Speedmasters. I feel like the, it, these are these are just marketing ideas. They're just ways to to, to make more money. Whereas the Kuntash was, I mean, I guess you could say it was, but, but well, it was audacious though. They're all owned by... VW. Well, yeah. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 a lot of them are, unless you're talking about Morgan, they're beholden to shareholders. Right. And um, why not take the safe road? You know you're going to sell the reissue. You, know you what don't it is. know if you're going to sell the, 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 the totally wild out of, the, it, out of this world. It is, it is. And there's a huge amount of marketing currency towards right. these famous... Um, models. It's a fran- you know, it's, it's, it's a movie franchise marketing idea. Absolutely. That's all. They, they, you know, we did Batman. That was a success. We're just going to keep doing Batman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Rather than coming out with a, a new John Hughes movie, we'll just come out with sequels. Right. Uh, you know, Ferris Bueller takes another day off. The Breakfast Club. Brunch Club. Yeah. Lunch Club. Lunch Club. Tea Club. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I mean, it, it, it's uh, yeah, the, the market's very diverse, obviously. Right. But. Um, I mean, like I said, I will sell anything as long as it has value. Um, but I find the older cards a lot more interesting because people tend to drive them, use them, and enjoy them more so than the modern cards. And I, I, okay, I guess so the other could, thing if is... You have, if you could have the old, here's the old chestnut. If you could have one car, what would it be? If I could have one car? One car, what would it be? I feel like you need to say it's a little more enthusiasm. Because I feel like that's a boring question, but I'm kind of interested because you expose... Yeah, so I, I take an Alpha 8C, not the modern one, the original one. Oh. I find the modern one a little too plump. Um, I mean, it's a rare example of a rare modern car. They didn't build very many. No, I know, but when I, I, mean, saw, when I saw it in pictures, I thought, this looks amazing. When I saw it in person, I felt like, oh, it's had too many burgers. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's probably better looking than the car it's based on, so. What was it based on? Maserati. <laughs> did you just get depressed? No, talking about it. Saying what it was based on. It was based on the Australian 4200. Well, we didn't get many of them over here. And then. Well, uh, that was because they had this weird brand on the front of them. Right. But also. Alfa Romeo. <laughs> heard of that. Is that a new company? <laughs> but a lot of people didn't drive them. And then Glickenhaus up north used his as like a commuter car at the train station. Yeah, we sold that car. Did Perfect you? example. So it was, it was paint a sample. Um, what color was it? It was like a special red. It didn't, it's paint a sample to make it look like a color that's very common. Um, but, um, he, yeah, his had like 40 something thousand miles on it. So what did that go for? It, um, went for a pretty fair amount of money. I mean, look, uh, most of them are selling for three, four hundred thousand dollars because they have very few miles. This one sold for two something, but, um, I mean, look, he didn't, he, he got to enjoy 40, nearly 50,000 miles out of it. So is that worth $100,000? Probably. And more importantly, the new owner can drive the beans out of it. Yep, right. Like the best Ferrari F50 I think I've ever sold was a black one, one of, I think, three. Um, and it was unique in two ways. Uh, first off, uh, it had been totaled in the late 90s when it wasn't worth anything, sent back to Ferrari. And when you when you get in an accident in a carbon fiber car, it's different than when you get in an accident in a car with, with metal. Because carbon fiber you don't fix, you replace. 
So um, there was no way to see what had happened to it because there was no evidence of repair. They just replaced. Right. Um, so it had all been redone, and it had 66,000 miles on it. So that's just that's perfect. perfect. Do you and know, the uh, guy who bought it, he bought it in, in uh, Arizona. He picked it up and drove it back to California. <laughs> Great. Um, and he's driven a lot. And you know what? Mileage is irrelevant on that because it's it's got it's got a salvage title. Um, and uh, what it, did that go for? It went for uh, it went for like uh, at the time I think, and this was four or five years ago. Oh, before they were a thing. Uh, I mean, they were a thing, but not a thing thing. Right. Um, I want to say it sold for like a million and a half bucks or something. Right. Which was at the time maybe. 30, 40% less than a, than a nice, a nicer lower mileage example. Right. Um, I mean, what, what, what do you go for now? Depending on condition, mileage, and if it's an American or European spec car, um, uh, about 2 million, give or take 500 on either side. Okay. I would much rather have the salvage title black, 66,000. That's a car that looks terrible in red, I think. <laughs> I, I, uh, my favorite Ferrari color is not red. Sometimes you don't have a choice. F40s only came in red. No, I know. What did they make? Did they make? I thought they made. Oh no, that well, that they tried. They painted. No, I know. But every time I see an F40, like Joel's green, or there's that geezer in England has the blue one. Every time I see any other color, I think this color looks oh, amazing. Also sold the blue one on uh, the market. Sonnets.com. Uh, As a matter of fact, website. It was a good plug. Good plug. Slip <laughs> <laughs> it in there. Finally, you can take that off. But every time I see one of those in a non-red, I think that it's then you can see how cool the car is. Well, the thing that tickles me the most is uh, so the Sultan of Brunei had a whole bunch of them. Yeah. And he painted them all sorts of different colors, and he had Testarossa interiors put in them, so leather, power windows. Oh, really? Like yeah, yeah. Okay. And one of them got sold out of the collection. It was, it was like a pewter gray with the red stripes oh, where the black. I've seen that. Yeah, one. yeah. It's okay. Beautiful. It was taken to DK Engineering and restored back to dead stock original. Really? Which. I mean, it, 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 look, one of the weird things about collector cars versus collector anything else is with collector anything else, like take watches. If you have a watch and you're like, you know what? I prefer to change the watch to make it look different, <laughs> have a different face put on and all that. Or if you have a painting, you're like, you know, I, I don't I like the fruit in this still like. Yeah, that one has strawberries. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, she's wearing a blue dress. I'd rather be a red dress. Right. Like, you can't change it. That's just the way it is. And if you change you, I mean, if you do change it, that's fine. But now it's worth nothing. Right. Whereas with cars, you can restore it. You can make it look however you want. You know, you want to change Well, particularly cars. if it's in the Sultan Brunei, that's all down in the factory. It's so, not done at the factory. It's not done. No, it's done by Pininfarina. Ah, well, that, okay, that's almost but as that's, good. It's as. almost, but it is not. Um, and so, you know, this was a left-right swap. So it was right-hand drive because his cars were all right-hand drive. Right. Um, and it was pewter, and it had <clears throat> a leather, gray leather interior, and it was restored back to red. Right. With a you know the cloth interior and everything. They swapped back to left-hand drive as well. Yeah. <coughs> and here's the best part. After doing all that, another guy bought it, and he's restoring it back. No, it's a computer with love. Yeah, right. and that's the good guy. And and you know. So wait, did it, when it, okay, so when it was restored back to original, was it worth? When you more say or original, or, sorry, when which, it was which are we talking about? When it, <laughs> when it was restored from Sultan Brunei back to F forty regular, did it lose value or gain value? Um, 
You know, I, I don't think it would have gained value because an enormous amount of value, especially in modern cars, is on originality. Sure. And the paint's not original, the interior's not original. And I've had people that will not buy an F40 because they think the seats have been recovered. Right. Or wow. they, you know, the paint is not perfect. These things are painted with what amounts to watercolors. And it's, it's made of, you know, uh, Kevlar and carbon fiber. And it flexes. I don't care how many miles are on it, the paint's going to crack. And you know, I'm not talking about big cracks, but right. you know, micro. But you also need to be able to see the weave. You see the weave because the paint's shit. That's the that's right. the, that's the that's honest the, truth. The, is why you see the weave. You know, right. and um, and you know, if you if you don't have those, and and again, it's so. It, was it worth? So do you think? Because to me, I don't think it was worth anything. To me, more. I think I think it would be worth more to have an original Stelter Brunei car that was done by Pininfarina. That yeah. would be interesting because they yeah. all look the same. This one doesn't, but it was a Pininfarina thing, not like some body shop in Queens. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I, Personally, if I was valuing it, yes, I would consider this Salt the Brunei example to have been worth more. Now, if I'm valuing it though, as an auction estimate, that's the kind of thing where you really and and you know this is where the it's it's not science, it's it's a little bit of Harry Potter magic. Um, I, I'm thinking about how I want to value it. I wouldn't want to value it, you know, top market. I would because I think it'll probably sell for a lot more than it realistically should. I, I I would bet that if you'd taken that car and not done anything to it, left it as the Sultan and Brunei had it, and you offered it in the UK, and you put a lower estimate on it because it's not a correct F40, it's a modified right. F40. I right. know that it was modified by the right people, but it's modified. Right. Um, if you put a if you put a feet on the ground estimate on it, it would probably sell for a price at or above what a very nice unmodified example. That's would what I would imagine. But if you if you were to put an estimate on it that was up at the price of that unmodified example, you're probably going to price out the market, and a lot of people who would have shown up and fought each other for it might not necessarily come and do that. I would love to have a uh, something like that because you because it, what's interesting about that is. It's all a question of who, who are the people who did the modifications. Mm-hmm. And that's what, to me, makes it, like, it's a, there's a gulf of a difference between Pin and Freedom doing it in some random place. Oh, totally. And totally. to me, the Pin and Freedom thing is equally as that is, is, is completely kosher. Yeah, I mean, the Ferrari people are in some ways like Porsche people in that there's, right. you know, only one place that can do things right, and that right. is the manufacturer. Right. And, Especially in Ferrari's case, the manufacturer takes huge advantage of this because um, you know we sold a 250 GTO um, in 2014, and the car it was unique in that it was the only 250 GTO that someone had been killed racing it. It was in a bad accident and it had been it hit a building and um, it was kind of L shaped. Look, it was a race car at the time. This was in 1964 or five, right. so it was sent back and fixed. Now the body was not salvageable, so they had this shop make a new body for it. Scaglietti, I don't know if you've heard. Sure. <laughs> um, so it had a Scaglietti body on it. Well, Ferrari wouldn't give a Classic A to it because it had a repop body. So you, they, they would to give a Classic A, they would require you have a new body made by their craftsman, which is a shop down the street, not Ferrari themselves. They they outsource their store, but. Which is the original body? The Scaglietti built one in period, or the 
modern one that Ferrari has spreads the whole right. on. And you know, this is this is a kind also, of but the thing well, the thing that's interesting about that is in the fifties and sixties there were all sorts of coach builders putting stuff on and that's never does, does that affect it depends on the car. It it always depends on the car. I mean if you're talking about cars where there is a profit motive by a manufacturer to um, do to, to engage with the car, which in Ferrari they're you know they're making a lot of money on the Classic A program and they want to maintain that. Sure. Um, it, it it sometimes changes the uh, they're 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 an interested party there. Right. You know, no one's going to necessarily throw up. They're not going to get angry about it if it's a Packard or a Cadillac or something like that, right. because Cadillac has no vested interest in the um, originality or verifying the originality of its previously produced vehicles. They'll, they'll send you a bill cheap. They have phenomenal records. Shout out to the GM Heritage Center. They've done a great job of preserving that for Cadillac. Right. And you can get you can get a bill cheap on any Saturn that was built if you want. <laughs> Um, wow. Just out of interest, though, when we're talking about all this Ferrari stuff, it makes me think of the Glickenhaus P45 and how that, that, well, that got the sign-off from Ferrari, didn't it? It did. I and think that, 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 was, that, that, that was miraculous. What, when did that happen? I don't know. It happened when the car was built, like, what, 2004 or something? Okay. How much was the Classic A at that time? Nothing. Like, yeah, $5,000, dollars I mean, it has become so much more of an element of Ferrari's business plan um, that, you know, they they have... What does it cost to get your car certified by a classic email from Ferrari? And the value of the car. So how does that work? So it's, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, a, it's a sliding scale. Okay, so for instance, I had, a red book. I had a 246 Dino, right? Yeah. So, which is now worth whatever, like 260 grand, 400 grand, yeah. 300 grand, you tell me. Oh, yeah, so much more I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a, no, we're going to be more Italian than yeah. speak, right? Um, so how would that, do you, you don't have to send the card, do you? You, you? you would have to take it to a Stand authorized to. Class K okay. certification center. So in this case, it'd be like Miller Motor Cars. Okay, and then what's that cost them to, what are they charging? 10 grand, it 50 grand? It depends on how much of the car is original, unquote. Um, <laughs> I like the quote unquote. <laughs> so if, if let's just say that all they have to do is inspect it and there's nothing that needs to be replaced right. or repaired or restored, um, uh, you'd probably be looking down the barrel of a five to $15,000 bill. And then what does that add for value at auction to say it's classicated, whatever, certified? Uh, it's hard to necessarily put a number on it, but I, I put it this way, um, and maybe this is a little pessimistic, but when people are buying a car at auction, they're looking sometimes for reasons not to put their hand in the air a second time, or a third time, or a tenth time. Oh, so, so it's not Classic um, A, then that's the So reason. if the car is Classic A certified, it's not that you can't get it Classic A certified. You, you, could, you could do it, you just have to spend the time and money to do it. But if it's already done, it's one less thing I have to worry about. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know what? It's been spritzed with the holy water. It's blessed. It comes with this fancy red book with its number stamped on it. I'll put my hand there. Right. So um, it's it's something that it's it's difficult to necessarily put a figure on. I understand what you mean. Though. You want to, you want to lube the path to victory. It, 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 it certainly helps. It doesn't hurt. Right. Okay. And you know, people want. I have to say, man. People, for right, people want a classic kit, but it, it, it's at a certain level. There's a level where, when you get, if you have like a Testarossa, right, the classic K 
isn't going to have as much of an effect on value. Because those cars are so well documented as they are, and there's so few of them. It's not like, oh, is this a real one? <laughs> Everyone knows every single thing about every single test that was ever built. Right. I have to say, man, I find the whole thing kind of vaguely depressing. Because like, like you say, it's the, it's the monetization of the hobby. It's the asceticization, if that's a word, of the hobby. Commoditization. Commoditization is probably a better word. It's probably a real word that I should use. But it just... It all kind of ass at the beginning of it. I know, well, that's yeah, it's tempting, uh, but <laughs> but but um, it just sort of makes it all, you know, like I mean, basically, anyone who collects anything, it's a, it's a it's a it's a nerdy pastime, right? Yeah. And it's, and like you collect watches, you collect cars, whatever it is. It's, it's because part of you is kind of an inner nerd, like you like the thing, yeah. you like the history, you like yeah, the yeah, way yeah. it looks, whatever it is. And that's sort of, in some ways, and I guess this is a big geezer thing, but I feel like I'm, that's being squeezed out a little bit. And some and some areas of the market, not all of it. Yeah, yeah no, that's totally true. Look, the, the car market, you can still engage at any value point. Sure. If you've got five grand to spend on a car, you can get a great car at, from any era. You're not going to be able to get a TT, original TT. You can get an original... But you could you could you could get a um, a workable model T if you want something from the teens twenties. You know you can get a you can get a workable model A. Um, you know you can you can get. Um, you should take, take you should take this moment to tell people about your model Rossi. Oh yeah, yeah. The, he had the crazy. I mean, off if you're not watching the YouTube show, is a is a civilized, urbane looking gentleman <laughs> with red framed glasses. Not the kind of gent you would think would be buying like a crazy hot rod with a slam, a chopped cabin. It wasn't chopped, it was channeled. And it had been dropped What's on the, the frame. What's the channel and chopped? So the three primary modifications in the hot rod are chopped, channeled, and sectioned. Okay. Chopped is where you lower the, the roof line, so you cut the A, yeah. B, and C pillars and drop the top of the roof line. Uh, channeled is where you drop the body on the frame, so the body remains unchanged or... But the whole thing is... The whole thing is lower, okay. it has a lower look to it. And sectioned is where you cut a strip out of the, the length of the body and you lessen the width of the the height of the body. Okay. Um, so uh, <laughs> the, the car I had was built by a guy named Alexis DuPont, who was the son of E. Paul DuPont, who was the founder of DuPont Motors. <laughs> so there's your any former owner like, of Indian Motorcycle. So, but um, but yeah, it was it, he was six, on, he was six two, so that's why he didn't chop it; it wouldn't fit. Right. But also, this is the son of. Uh, presumably a billionaire, one of the greatest for, uh, yeah, one of the greatest, the greatest for, American great fortunes, 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 fortunes yeah. making a hot rod. Well, do you think it was like a I'm going to piss off my father kind of situation? No, at the time he was racing a lot of. Um, what was lot, this, in the 60s? this was in the fifties. He was racing a lot of uh, Norton powered uh, Coopers, okay. which we really don't have here in the United States because no one would race a five hundred cc race car. Right. But in Europe, you, I mean, in Goodwood, you can you see people racing these. And, yeah. you know, they're open-wheel race cars. They use a Norton Manx engine, As um, one does. which is a 500cc single. And um, so he was he was racing these, and he wanted a kind of get-around uh, truck. And he also, he did, he hill-climbed with it. So it had a roll bar in it. Um, he had, but when you look at it, it's like kind of like a... Mushroom-induced Beverly Hillbillies. Well, it was like you know, a crazy. A rat rod is when you make a hot rod look like it's all beat up. Right. This was just the way it was. Right. I mean, I had pictures of it from when he built it. It had a Scott supercharged flathead V8 with the biggest Scott supercharger you could buy, which I think was two point four liters. 
Um, so it was a big, big blower. Um, and the limiting factor in the speed of the car, I also had you know, twin car uh, manifold on it, and it had all sorts of neat like aeronautical gauges because you're taking the planes too. It's what you do when you have unlimited money. Um, and uh, you know, it was just something that someone built in the 50s the way you would have built in the 50s. The seats were out of a 49 Volkswagen, things like that. Uh, and that's why I liked it. But why? <laughs> this is just so... This but it was definitely not me. I mean, it like, seems very unmental the, the, to, the, the, to the top speed I could get to, and it was about 75, and that was not because it was running out of power, it was because it had um, struts in the front, which I wouldn't have originally, but it had just leaf springs. Um, but I had struts in the front, and there was a melodic motion that would start at about 75, where the front wheels would vibrate, because there was still a, leaf, a, a transverse leaf spring, and that was sending the vibrations between the two wheels. So I probably could have like replaced the struts to get that to stop and continued on, because there was plenty of you know revs back in, in the left there to right. continue going, which for a 1934 Ford, that's a pickup. But what made you buy that car? I just, the history was so cool. Right. And I, it just, it, it was very period. And I like the fact it was so period. You bought it as an investment. You knew I, I could buy this car an and this is, a million. This is my problem. See, I, I'm very good at selling cars for people. I'm very bad at selling cars for me. I think I did. I didn't make money on it. I'll tell you that much. Um, didn't you go in on a car? Didn't you buy a? Uh, I didn't buy. I didn't buy Montreal with Bradley. Yeah, yeah. with Bradley. And we drove. We drove to Montreal to Montreal for the 50th anniversary of the release of the Montreal Montreal. Did That's that what work? we told the customs person to. Did it work all the way? Did it happen? Fuck yeah, it did. Really? Drove it all the way up there, drove it all the way back. It worked like a charm. No. Wonderful. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we were, it was It was a special, like, out, it was an Alfa Romeo Club meet, and um, 2017, 50th anniversary release of the original Montreal concept at the Expo 67. And um, Mon the Montreal was the featured um, model. I think there were like eight that showed up. We were the only one that drove there. <laughs> and then on the little tour they had, two of the cars broke down. Which, I, I don't want to scare people away from Montreal. It's a highly underrated car. I think it's phenomenal value for the money. What do they go for now? Oh, uh, they're anywhere from kind of 60 to 90 grand, right. which is GTB money now, which is kind of crazy. But a GTB is half as many cylinders. But then again, half as you many got the Montreal need the bronze or that green. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't want it in red, but that's the color of the car right. we had. Um, but, you know, if it is serviced right, it is an amazing touring car. It's not a sports car. It's like a Citroen SM. It's not a sports car. It's a touring car. But, um, oh, man, that thing just so much power. It was so great, and no one knew what the hell it was. Um, but a very cool machine. I love those designs, man. Yeah, it was, it was. I think it was a little bit limited by the fact that it was built off of a shorter wheelbase, the wheelbase needed to be longer. Not necessarily for handling, but the overhangs were too long. Right. But um, it's a very cool car. So I, I highly recommend it to, <laughs> to people. To people, if, generally. Generally. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, the, the, the market does not value cars based on necessarily how they drive or how good they are as a car, or how successful they are, you know, you know, competitively. But that also can change. That's what, I mean, what I love about particularly modern cars, and I've made a bit of a career of buying cars that have been obscured by mythology, and then eventually that mythology disappears and is replaced by another mythology. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I find that interesting that there are cars that have stories that follow them that people just repeat, almost like a religion. 
like a mantra. They just repeat, oh, yeah. well, it should have been this, it should have been that. And, but eventually, the car emerges from that kind of cloud, that nimbus cloud of bullshit. Yeah. And people see it for the thing that it is. Well, I mean, was. look, uh, the, the, the beauty of the car market is that it's always changing. And, right. um, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, we've left the pure nostalgia market. And the car market's very young. You look at the art market. Art market's been around since, you know, art was not affixed to a cable wall. Um, and the car market, though, has only, cars have only been a going thing since like the 1880s. So, you know, we're at 140 years of the car market. And for a long, and it continues to be the strongest motivating factor in the market is nostalgia collecting. Um, people want what they remember as a kid. You know, so the first thing most people buy as a collector is going to be the thing they had on their wall when they were 15 years old. So there's about a 35 year trailing average, which is to say that it takes about 35 years to go from being a zip faced teenager to having enough time, money, and you know, where would interest to, to go out and buy that car you really wanted as a kid. So that's why cars from the 80s and 90s are becoming very valuable now, is because people are now chasing after these things that formerly no one cared about because they were just used cars. And there's become a much greater acceptance of, for example, Japanese cars, because the outgoing generation of collectors, they didn't like Japanese cars, just as the previous generation before them didn't like European cars, because European cars were like chintzy little you know, imports like Volkswagen's. Right. And then Japanese cars were chintzy little imports like Corolla's. But the uh, the opinions that people have of these cars change. If you ask a younger person what they think of Japanese cars, they'll be like, "Oh, they're pretty nice cars. They're very reliable. You know, they're, they're who wouldn't want like a Lexus is a nice car. An Acura, an Acura SX is a spectacular machine." And the new one? Well, the original one. But I mean, the, the, the NSX is still an impressive vehicle. Well, it's well okay. I would say it's impressive from a from a technology standpoint, yeah, a design standpoint, very impressive. It, it is not, I think that was where they, where they hiccuped, is they didn't divorce themselves from the mold as much as they did with the NSX. Right. But the original NSX, I would say. But the point is, like, there's this acceptance of things that previously were not considered valuable. And, but that's not to say that the things that are older, that fall outside of the nostalgia collecting, are now valuable. People collect them for different reasons. And um, if you look at pre-war cars, for example, people who were collecting for nostalgia reasons collected cars that were the most expensive to buy. What was the most expensive pre-war car? That would have been like body style, because that's the biggest factor in value. Because you could get, for the most part, you get any pre-war car with any body you wanted. Um, and the drivetrain and the architecture of the chassis was the same, it was just what's on top. The most expensive ones would have been an open drive limousine. So open drive limousines are a lot, worth a lot of money. Well, the problem with an open drive limousine is the guy driving it is paid to drive it. And someone with a lot of money doesn't necessarily want to pay a lot of money to have a car that someone else is paid to drive when they now own the car and the pride is in driving the car. So there's been a shift away from, and I'm not saying exclusively, but now people want like two-door roadsters, you know, for pre-war cars. And the values of some of them, like Duesenberg's, have gone way up, way beyond what they previously were. You know, we're now seeing Duesenberg sell for prices that they never previously sold. Now, maybe if you inflation adjust it, it's, it's equivalent to what they were selling for in the 80s. Um, but 
The point is, when people were buying the 80s, there was nostalgia collected. The Duesenberg was 50 years old. People who were kids could now afford to spend as much money as they wanted to and were buying these things. So were they buying who's buying a Duesenberg now if it's not nostalgia? Well, it's because the Duesenberg was the most powerful and one of the most powerful and technologically advanced cars of its time. You think about like 19, so the Duesenberg came out when he, the J, I should say, came out in 28, built through 36. Um, unsupercharged, it had 265 horsepower, and supercharged, it had 320. And, um, <laughs> and uh, um, you know, it, it could do 120 miles an hour. And it, we have to remember that these power figures are horsepower. Torque was a much bigger factor, and also gas was garbage. It was not the regulation we had on gas. They didn't have 93 octane gas. They had like 60 octane. <laughs> so these things were running on rod gun. And they could still make enormous amounts of power. And now, like 265 horsepower in 1929, sure. that's, <laughs> that's still a lot of power. Right. So it's a spectacular car, and so people are, and, and, and when I say younger people are collecting them, younger people in the car hobby, I'm not talking about people in their 20s, I'm talking about people in their like 50s and 60s, which is young for the car, for the collecting hobby. I mean, right. The reality is you need three things to collect cars, space, money, and passion. We need a fourth too, which is time, because you want to use them. And most people have passion in spades, always, but they might not have space, money, and time until they're a bit more advanced in their, in their life, um, which is why you know you see at auctions and a lot of car events a lot more um, people who are a little more senior <laughs> or retired or right. towards the end of their career, um, Weekend at or at least don't have kids at home that they have to take care of. Right. So um, you know that 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 group is now buying into these cars, and and there are another big factor in the value of cars is events. What can I do with it. You know, if it's a car that has no events and there's nothing you can do with it, then that's neat, but that's like a race car that you have no series you can Okay, well, they, well, I'll say, think about the function of events too. They're, they're providing a sort of a, a sociological function too, right? I mean, you go there, you hang around with other white, geezerly millionaires, you can talk about, you can sort of show off. I mean, I remember I was at a copper state and we were, I, I was, my friend and I was sitting at a table on the other uh, these two guys having a conversation. This guy was talking about an island that he owned. Yeah. And then the other guy was like, oh, I have an island next to your island. <laughs> and it's, it's that kind of, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of like, I feel like people do events because they want to go out in their cars, because they want to sort of mingle with. They want to mingle with like-minded lunatics. Yeah. And, and, you know, to a certain amount of, uh, to a certain extent, because you're, you're, you're with a group of, like you know, people who have a similar interest and 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 want to do the same things, and they, it's a little bit like backpacking. Like, so, you know, so if you describe backpacking, it's like right. I have an idea. Let's put all of our stuff in the back, put it in our back, we'll go walk out into the woods, we'll shit by a tree. It'll be great. Views will be wonderful. We'll cook on a little camp stove and have like boiled vegetables. <laughs> it is exactly and like that. And you know, you, you describe like driving out on a call, here's a plan I got for you, here's a good plan. All right, we're gonna get in the car, it's got no lumbar support, it's probably gonna run pretty good, might catch fire, not safe, and we're just gonna drive it for a long way. And it's gonna be, uh, you know, there's no AC, it's gonna be a little bit hot and uncomfortable, we may or may not make it, but it'll be a lot of fun, you know? It, it doesn't sound great. Like I, I, one of my favorite events is the London Brighton Run, which I think is a good a good example of what maintains interest in 
a part of the hobby that doesn't seem like anyone wanted to engage in. So the London to Brighton Run, for those who aren't familiar, it's the oldest continuously held car event in the world. Um, and it was started in the 20s in London to drive to Brighton, which is on the sea. It's about six very miles away. It's a very misleading name. Yes, yeah, very misleading name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been run every year, except for obviously 2020, they didn't do it. And, um, and it's done- Maybe not, did they do it in the, in the, during they the Second World it, War? They, they didn't do it during the Second World War. No, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's for cars built pre-1904. 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 Yeah. It's amazing when you see pictures. It's fantastic. There's all these people perched up on like, <laughs> like this, engines this is, and wheels. This is really where, you know, the definition of what is a car was still up for open debate. So you have a lot of different powertrains. You have gas, you have electric, you have steam. Um, and steam could use um, kerosene fired or it could use coal. Some of them are coal fired. You have to stoke the you have to stoke the coal and stuff like that, and um, and this runs again sixty miles, and some of the cars, a lot of the cars, the horsepower rating is including quarters, halves, and three quarters, um, and what's spectacular about it, it's only sixty miles. It takes eight hours depending on the car you have. Some of the cars can do it very quickly. There's a guy from the Netherlands. He has a hundred horsepower Napier from nineteen oh three. That can do it. That can do it. It can't stop. But it can go. It'll do 60, 70 miles an hour, no problem. Um, so uh, you know you can do it very quickly, or you can do it like the guy does in a, in a coal-fired steam car, and then it takes you ten hours. But um, it's do a hobby. Have a, I mean, you have to, do you have like a separate car full of coal, like a train situation? I mean, the car has to carry its own coal. The coal is actually, actually not the problem. It's the water. <laughs> Right, because it turns into steam. Well, yeah. the problem is you run, most of these steam, all of these steam cars at that time have a total loss steam system, which means that every time it's, it's blowing the steam out, it's not recirculating the condensed water. So it's losing all of that water. And it can only fit so much water in the boiler, so, uh, or in the tank. So there are stops along the way, specifically oh, so that steam cars can refuel, <laughs> refuel with water. Right. Um, it's, it's not usually that they run out of, um, propellant for the heat it's that they run out of water <laughs> and then i think you, actually speaking of running out we're running out of water here have we run out of water it's my watch oh, my watch is still going that's usually what watches do they go no but this is a very i just got this and it's very old it's from 1946 oh wow so i would I, I it, know, was, it was a post-war gift yeah that's right it was <laughs> i because you know when you get a new watch, particularly an old watch, and then you look down and it stopped working, and this is sort of feel of embarrassment and like sadness. Self winding, or is it? I don't really know. I'm not sure. I wound it, but I don't know if it's it's a bubble bag, so I don't know. Okay. July first. No box, no papers. <laughs> no, no box, no papers. Oh. I looked down. It says it says ten to eleven. I thought, oh, it must have stopped. No. Because this seems like it's interminable. This it's, conversation. It's yeah, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Likewise. So <laughs> completely shared. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the thing about like London to Brighton Run is... In the, conclusion. In conclusion. <laughs> the type of people that are on the event yeah. are younger than the type of people you would see on, for example, uh, the... the it's all, because it's all a great love. Because it's, it's, it's a shorter event. You know, it's, you can do it in a weekend. And I think it's a huge amount of fun to engage in these cars that are so different from anything else. Sure. You know, and that's one of the huge values in collector cars, especially older collector cars, is the experience 
is so divorced from what we engage in today. And modern supercars and modern cars generally, just physically, they're, right? they're great, they're phenomenal things, they're better engineered and more reliable, they're, they're better in every way than an old car. There's no, I'm not gonna argue that point at all, they are better in every way. Except for the fact that they're so good at what they do that it's hard to engage with them on a public road in a way that you're like, this is really thrilling. I mean, you can step on the gas and then get to hyperlegal speeds very quickly. But, you know, outside of a track, it's hard to really exercise these cars in any way that's going to well, get so us breathing. The, the difference between a pre-war car, presumably, I've never driven one, but I imagine there's so much more happening. Uh, intellectually is probably the wrong word, but like there's a, lot of, there's a lot more stuff you're paying attention to physically and mentally. Yeah. Right? There's dials, gauges, there's things you have to do, all sorts of stuff, whereas with a modern car, there's accelerator and there's brake yeah. and there's steering. Yeah, it's a much more physical experience and a much more engaging experience because you're having to, it's really just every, every, you have to be kind of manning the ship. Right. And, you know, we joke that, you know, today's owner's manuals are like, filling up the car, have someone help you with this, warning, warning, can't, don't drink the gasoline. <laughs> Whereas like you look at an old car manual, even car manuals from the 60s, you know, they're talking about spark gaps and like right. how to, you know, change gears in the transmission and stuff like that. And, you know, with, with older cars, you look at the manual, and the manual was literally, this is how to take apart the car and rebuild the car and do every element of maintenance because guess what? You're going to be the one doing it. Right. Um, or you're going to hire someone to do it. Uh, so, yeah, there, it's, it's a much more involved. And the other thing is, and this is something that's only happened in the last 25, 30 years, you open the hoods of these things and there is an engine. You can see all the bits and pieces and parts that are used to, and, and now they want to hide whatever's there with covers that are a dramatic illustration of what an engine is, you know, science, you know, science fiction looks like. But um, yeah, it's just, there's something very tactile about being able to see everything together and how the, the basic concept's always the same, you know, and how these cars, once you get to IC engines, they're all basically the same with minor differences in how the valve trains work, but some of them just get it so right, and it's amazing when they get it so right. You know, like you look at a 1913 Mercer um, Type 35, the basics of it's pretty simple. It's still buy-on frame, has a T-head engine, but it just is such a spectacular thing to operate that it's just when everything comes together just right, oh man, and it, it is more fun to drive than almost any modern thing. Because you're not going very fast. I will. I mean, you're going relatively fast. They'll, they can do 80 miles an hour, which is really fast for 1913 on little bicycle wheels with no brakes. But you know, it has four-speed transmission, which is very modern, and it just goes. And it, you know, it came in third at Indy. And you think about today, there is no car that could race at a high level in modern motorsport and then drive to the bar afterwards to celebrate. <laughs> And I think that's that's something that kind of is 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 missing, and it's only been missing recently. I mean, homologation only ended what in the early two thousands is when yeah. they stopped requiring homologation, and nowadays hom homologated cars are people love them because they are so cool. It's the it's the cutting edge of like where we could be as far as I mean I think as far as a car is concerned is like a race car that you could still sort of drive home. And I, realistically, the last time that happened was in the 60s, which is why that era is still you ever seen where those, the most valuable cars. Have you ever seen those videos um, 
they're on YouTube. They're videos of all these, like, I guess these actors who used to get together in LA yeah, yeah, and yeah, race yeah. their cars. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They're and on they, the Ferrari 250. Yes, and, and, they, like and they're just painting, like, they're hand painting, like, numbers on the yeah, side yeah. with, you know, like a house. There's a, a house short base painted like a tiger. Yeah, yeah. They just, because it's just. They were used car. They were they were no longer successful race cars. Right. So they were they were cars without a purpose. Um, they were just used cars. They were expensive to maintain, which is why a lot of them had Ford and Chevy engines put in. But yeah, people would go up. They go up to you know Mulholland Drive, and yeah, you could look up Ferraris on Mulholland Drive. You know, old right. Ferraris Mulholland Drive. There's a yeah. great video narrated by a guy who's there, and it's just when you think about it. It's kind of beautiful to see these cars that nowadays, I mean, this is one of the problems with cars being valuable. You don't see them being used as much as they used to because now they're, they're worth so much and either people are afraid to use a car that's worth that much or more likely, most of them are owned by only a few individuals and they're not going to, you know, well, you've got two hands, two feet, one head, one ass. You can only drive one at a time. But I think, I think um, what's lovely about those videos is, is that we've forgotten for a long time, we've forgotten that those things were just things. They were just—it was just something someone bought because they kind, of, they kind of loved it, and and but we've forgotten that. Yeah. Because then they're not treated like that anymore. No, they're treated um, as assets. Right. And when you and I think this is one of the things why it's hard to purely look at them as assets because the reason, the base reason why people engage in it is not as an asset. The reason why people engage in it is because they have. Whatever reason, whatever came for pleasure, whatever thing that they derive, that they enjoy out of it, that's why they, they want to have these cars. And they want the experience of owning them or driving them or doing whatever it is they have, they have with it. And that, that element of it, you know, the people who buy cars because they really love them and they think these are fabulous things for whatever reason they want to engage in it, those are the people who end up with collections that are usually worth the most at the end of the day. Right. You know, you look at the late, great Fred Simeone's collection. Right. He was not buying these for financial reasons. If he was, he was probably the best. He was the Warren Buffett of the businessman. He he bought everything. So for, so for, for people who don't know, um, Sim, the Simeon Museum down in uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. He, he was a doctor, right? He was a neurosurgeon. And, um, and he had... He the, collected sports racing cars. Right. But the most extraordinary examples from most the, the 50s, 60s. And he was doing 70s. it... Yeah, yeah. 70s. Yeah, 50s, 60s. And uh, the, the latest cars would be like a 917. Right. Um, but he was doing it when there was not any information. There was no internet. You know, and this, the internet has really democratized information in such a way that you oh, now can buy anything you want on his money, which you need time and effort and invest sure. in that way. And he was, you know, he had to figure out what was he going to buy, so what make and model. And then once he figured that out, which one is the best one to have, and then figure out who owned it. And he did this with, you know, just letters and phone calls. And he, his collection, if you're in Philly, it's right by the airport, so you can do a layover. It is so worth a visit. I mean, it is a spectacular collection. But he assembled it because he was so passionate about it. He could never do something like that today. But he could do that then because these cars, they weren't cheap. They were still valuable. But um, they weren't as valuable as they are today. And it was it took all this effort and the sweat equity was the, was the value in there, not right. the money. Um, but he was chasing after these things purely because he had an enormous amount of passion for them. And as a result of his passion, that passion is why people are ultimately into the hobby. Yeah. And that's probably why his collection is worth as much as it, as it is. But on the same note, it's in the foundation. And it, it looks like it will be on display publicly for a long time, which is, which is great. I think it offers people 
an opportunity to see things and preferably divorce themselves from the actual value of the cars and appreciate them for their design and for what they accomplished in period. Well, I think that draws a conclusion to our yeah. Anthropolis frenzy. Bonnets.com slash motoring. Well, you still following your ship, Eric, you know, call me. Yeah. Yo, WhatsApp with Yeah, 917. Eric. 1630. Eric. Dot. 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 Thanks again for coming on, Eric. It was a real joy. Thank you for having me as always. Pleasure. All right.